Scripture reading, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. Book of Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. I'm going to reading from ESV version. This is the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day to day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thanks be to God. All right. Thanks, Pastor Sangmin. Um, good morning, everyone. Uh, why don't we take a moment and uh, greet. Let's greet one another. Um, I know there's a lot of space over here, but, you know, stand up, make eye-to-eye contact with somebody, and, uh, you know, just greet them in, in, the love of, in the love of our Lord. All right, guys. Uh, wonderful seeing you all uh, this morning. Um, Yes, we've begun this sermon series through Acts. Uh, today, I think, is the fourth week. Um, and uh, one of the commentaries that, that we've been leaning on heavily is this uh, commenta- commentary by Willie James Jennings. And he introduces the book of Acts uh, as a revolution, as a disrupting, the disrupting presence of the Holy Spirit. One quote in his intro, he says, God working moving, creating the dawn that will break each day, putting into place a holy repetition that speaks of the willingness of God to invade our every day and our every moment. That this is the book of Acts, what we see. God invading our every day and disrupting our lives uh, in such a a beautiful and graceful way. Uh, Simon Ponsonby, he's got this book called More, uh, how you can have more of the Spirit when you already have everything. Uh, and he says, he says this, we have domesticated God and rarely want Him to disturb us, but the Scriptures reveal a God who is all-powerful, who breaks our boxes shatters our bonds, shakes whole rooms, and turns the world upside down and right side up. This is our God. Last week, Pastor Sangmin, he, uh, he called us to reimagine Pentecost. So last week, we, we went through the text of Pentecost, and, and Pastor Sangmin, he, he, he caused us to, to focus not so much at the sign of tongues, right? If you guys remember the, the story of Pentecost, that tongues as a fire uh, descended upon the disciples, to not just look at the, look at the sign and the wonder of it, but actually to, to see it as the character and the heart of God, His desire for all peoples, His desire for all nations and all cultures, 
It's a beautiful message from our beautiful God. That was the message last week of Pentecost. And actually next week on the Christian calendar is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, so next week we will be having kind of a special worship service uh, where, you know, we're, we're just uh, longing for uh, the Holy Spirit uh, to disrupt, you know, even this Sunday service. Uh, but we don't have to wait for next week, right? So I pray God, God, would you do that today? But Pentecost, that first Pentecost, it was a public and a very practical display of God's character, right? It was happening where the believers, I think there was like 120 of them, the believers were gathered together and the Spirit of God came through, like there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind and then this vision of, 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 of tongues like a fire were descending. It was a public display, but also a very practical display of God's heart for all peoples and all cultures, right? And, the, and, and this was such a thing that, that the people, that all these other people were, uh, came, came around and were observing all of this uh, happening. They were, there's people from all different nations, the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora, right? And they were astounded. They were seeing this stuff. They were hearing the glory of God being proclaimed in all of their native languages. And they were astounded. But some of them ridiculed. They're like, oh my goodness, these people have had too much wine, too much new wine. Now, this, at this point, Peter launches into uh, this, the, the, the first sermon that we read in the book of Acts. And I don't know, the, 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 well, he, he actually, Peter, he, he, uh, he responds to uh, this, uh, uh, excuse me. He responds to uh, this, this ridicule. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the people were making that comment as a joke. Maybe they were serious. Maybe, maybe Peter was responding, you know, likewise in a, in a joking fashion like, hey, hey come on. It's only, it's only noon. There's no, way we're, there's no way that these people are drunk. You know, give them a few hours, right? I don't know. Maybe he was serious. And, that, you know, that's actually one thing. This is a totally side note. For me personally, I don't know about you guys, but for me personally, a lot of times when I'm reading the Bible, I read it very, like, seriously. Everything is always serious and stoic and, you know, just everyone is just kind of like almost robotic. Or maybe everyone is angry. I don't know. That's how I often read things. Uh, total side note. Have you guys ever heard of the show um, The Chosen? You can see it. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, one, of the, one of the really the cool things about this, uh, this show is it just it, 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 uh, it, uh, it depicts Jesus, the disciples, and all that. It depicts it with so much uh, unique character. And I think that that's such an interesting, it's, it's really, it's a cool, a fresh uh, thing to see. Okay, total side, total side note. So, so Peter, he responds. He's like, no, it's only noon. There's, they're, not, they're not drunk, guys. They're not drunk. In fact, the prophet Joel, he prophesied about this. So Peter, he goes back, he goes to the Old Testament, the prophecies of Joel, that the last days that, that the prophet Joel prophesied about, that these things were being fulfilled right now. The fulfillment of God's purposes have arrived. The sign of the age to come, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh, this is it. Peter is pointing to this. He's saying, this is it. 
It's happening. The outpouring of, the, of God's Spirit. And then he goes and he, and he, and he, and he, uh, uh, he explains, he kind of does the survey of, of Jesus and how Jesus is greater than David. If you guys know the Jewish people, they loved David, the King David. Like he was the, he was the guy, he was the king. And that Jesus is greater than David. That Jesus is the one prophesied, the one whose flesh would not see corruption. For death could not hold him. For God raised him from the dead to glory. So Peter's talking about this. He's talking about Jesus. And then he says that this, that Jesus being raised from the dead, that this is proof that God has made Jesus Lord and Christ. Can you guys say Lord and Christ? Yeah. Proof. In verse 32, chapter 2, Peter says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now, this is totally unique, right? Because we're 2,000 years later, but he's talking to these people. You are all witnesses. They were witnesses of Jesus' life, all of the miracles and the teachings, his death, and even his resurrection. They were witnesses to these things. Now, for us, thousands of years later, uh, is that proof enough? Kind of just want to lightly just, just kind of just touch on this. Because we think about proof, and I don't, I don't know like, how many of you guys are scientists, how many of you guys have, have like, kind of that scientific mind, and what would quant, uh, qualify as proof. I think a lot of times for us, when we think about uh, events around the world, like, it's almost like if I don't see it, I, I, in order to really believe that it actually happened, it's like you, you, you kind of like want to have seen it, right? And it used to be videos and photographs were kind of pretty solid proof, but that's not, that's not so true anymore, right? With technology, you can make anything look real. Uh, but eyewitness, eyewitness testimony. I mean, that's throughout history. That's always been, uh, it's always been a, a strong evidence. And, and, and somehow, like, because we're 2,000 years removed, like, we think, oh, witness, those eyewitnesses, like, it's not good enough. But... You know what, I'm going I'm to, hmm. sorry guys. No, I, I, let's, let's keep going, let's keep going. Here, here's, I, I was just thinking about this. You guys know what a platypus is? This is so dumb. You guys know what a platypus is, right? Uh, Australian, these weird animals, they, they look like a duck, they look like a rodent, but they're like, they lay eggs, it's so weird. These are weird animals that don't fit uh, the animal kingdom. Now, if you guys can imagine the first person who saw a platypus, and he goes back to his, scientists, friends, and he's like, hey, guys, you guys won't believe this. I just saw an animal that has a duck bill, webbed feet, tail. Do they have a beaver tail? Beaver tail, even lays eggs. And these people will be like, what? You're, you're crazy, man. There's no such thing. And then the guy goes back and he finds, uh, you know, he, he finds maybe a, a, a dead platypus. He goes and he taxidermifies it and he brings it to the friends. And he's like, see? And then they're like, no, man, you're, you're crazy. You made this. You just took parts of different animals, you sewed it together, and you made this uh, Frankenstein of a creature. But he had to bring an actual live, uh, until he caught a live one and showed them to everyone, and everyone could observe it and see it, eyewitness, like, right? Then they could be like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing. 
Now, if you guys can imagine, platypuses, they still are alive today. But if you guys can imagine, let's say that they, were, they became extinct, like hundreds of years ago, before modern photography. We'd only have word of mouth, right? But, I, but like, it would be a weird, you know, zoologist, scientist to say, nah, you know, like, those people were crazy. It was just some guy wanting to become famous that he made up this creature. Uh, there's no evidence this creature never existed. Like, that, that, that would be kind of a silly uh, conclusion to make, right? Uh, but we, we kind of, we do that today. We have the testimony of all these people, eyewitnesses of Jesus, his life, and even his resurrection. And Peter says, you guys, you guys are eyewitnesses. You guys are witnesses of this. But here's another challenge, I think, for the people that Peter was talking to. Yes, they were witnesses to, to all these things, but I think that there was another challenge for them to come to faith. And Peter doesn't sugarcoat this because Peter says, he says, Jesus, the Christ and Lord, you crucified. Now faced with that reality, if they were to believe like, oh my goodness, you're right. It is the Christ. It is the prophesied one. It is the Messiah. If they were to venture to believe that, how heavy must the weight of regret and guilt be upon them, right? How heavy that regret and guilt. I, I think it would be enough to make them want to deny the facts. It would be enough to make them want to run from the guilt, run from shame and deny, you know, in wishful thinking. The weight of such regret and guilt could make many refuse to believe. But here in Acts, we see another way. They ask desperately. After Peter's sermon, they ask desperately. They say, brothers, what shall we do? In light of all this, what shall we do? We can't stay like this. We can't stay in this guilt. We can't stay in this shame. We've done unspeakable wrong. What can we do? And Peter, he does not keep them in their guilt and in their shame. And with compassion from heaven, Peter says, repent. Repent. Turn away from this great wrong. Bring your sin in all of its ugliness, in all of its stench. Bring it to God. Repent. And then he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then here's another proof. Peter says, and then the proof that God forgives, that God will hold this sin no longer against you, so much so that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? The sin that once separated, that tore us from relationship with the Holy God, is removed, paid for by the blood of the Lamb, so much so that God makes himself, uh, his, God makes for himself a home in us in the believer. 
You see this? From eternal separation to becoming one. And from there, as we continue reading in Acts chapter 2, as the scripture was read today by Pastor Sangmin, and they, the believers, which again, it went from 120 to 3,000, just like in a day, okay? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the, to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We get this picture of Christian fellowship, of the first Christian church. And it seems so perfect, doesn't it? Like, I don't know about you, but something about it, like when I read it, like it's like, man, this is, this is so perfect. It's like, it's like Pleasantville. <laughs> Have you guys seen that movie? I've, I've only seen parts of it, and I don't, know if, I don't know if this is actually the premise, but what I think, it's, it's like it's stupid. Uh, like, everyone is, just, everyone is just picture perfect. Like, the, whole, the movie's in black and white. Everything is picture perfect. Everyone does the right thing until someone sins. And this is so, so dumb. Sin brings the, color, the colors in life. Okay, that's, that's the movie, Pleasantville, which is dumb. But when I read Acts, a lot of times I, like, I picture that. I picture like this weird black and white, kind of weird, boring, stiff kind of thing. I don't know. As though no one does anything wrong or offensive. Everyone is smiling all the time. Everyone is sharing. Everyone is giving. Like, but do you, do you think, take a moment, do you think that that's what it looked like? In Acts chapter 2, do you think that's what it looked like? Was it, was it like this perfect kind of Pleasantville thing? Was everyone just like kumbayaing all day long? Like, really? And even if it was, let's say, even if it was for like a day, like for how long could they keep doing that? How long could they persist in, in being like that? Like, how would they have fared during COVID, you know? It sounds so pleasant, sounds so perfect, but... Was it really like that? I doubt it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and I'm going to say, actually, no, definitely not. It wasn't this picture-perfect thing. I don't think Luke was lying, the writer of Acts. I don't think he was lying. He wasn't exaggerating. But he certainly wasn't giving all the details, right? Now we see these believers, they were together every day. Like there must have been disagreements. There must have been fights, misunderstandings, hurts. Now we see a people, we know for sure, there's a people with transformed hearts. That is for sure, transformed hearts, but not perfect. 
people still with selfish tendencies. Like undoubtedly, there was conflict. You put two people together, and if they are, if they are in genuine, intimate relationship, there will be conflict, right? Like Pastor Simon said, we, we just started this, uh, the marriage workshop, uh, and you know, we're, we're learning like, different vocabulary and strategies, ways to communicate, and, and you know, conflict, is, it, conflict doesn't so much mean like there's something tragically wrong in the relationship. It just means that there's people in the relationship. <laughs> so, so in Acts chapter 2, what I believe we're seeing, and it's not explicitly mentioned here in the text, but the life that Jesus specifically called his followers to, and in fact, it's the very entrance into the community of believers is an unrelenting commitment to forgiveness. Can you guys say forgiveness? Forgiveness. Is Jesus' forgiveness by his shed blood for the sinner, right? And then within community, the forgiveness to each other. Like that's the only way. That's the only way that day by day by day that they can grow in intimacy, in genuine intimacy, and be together, stay together. It's the only way. And so we see in Acts, right, what we read, that the believers, they were together. They had everything in common. They were selling and distributing, filling the needs. They went to worship together. They were with their homes, eating with glad hearts, praising God. And it's incredible it's an incredible vision of God's people. But we got to see this. But in order to remain in that kind of loving community, there must be constant forgiveness. Like even with incredible miracles and signs, even with that, even if you had people among us like doing crazy, like, you know, only God things, like what? Use would that be if there, among the people that there was lurking underneath it, there was grudge. If lurking underneath there was anger and hate. Now all of that would just be noise, right? Resounding gongs, if without love. And so I believe as, I, as we read this text in Acts chapter 2 and this vision of the first church, what's not stated explicitly, but what was the entrance into the community and necessary every day. What was it? It's forgiveness. In response to that life-changing question, brothers, what shall we do? Peter answers, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of of your sins. And you know, for me, as I was looking at this, reading this, and, and, and meditating on this, seeing this has actually caused me to consider some fundamental aspects of the Christian faith. You know, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You guys, if you're familiar with that, 
deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, I used to think, I used to think taking up the cross, when I thought of that, like that concept, taking up the cross, I just thought of like, you know, difficulties or pain or suffering, just kind of general things that a Christian might undergo living in this world, right? Like to endure these kinds of things for Jesus, you know, suffer for Jesus' name. And not to say that it's not those things, but I'm thinking, like, if Jesus himself, if Jesus went to the cross to pay for something, he paid for something. He paid for our forgiveness, right? Then doesn't it make sense that his call for me to take up my cross, to deny myself, should also mean forgiveness? And it's not to say that any of us can bear other people's sins for their salvation. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. But still, that commitment of living a life, denying myself to forgiveness. Because when we forgive someone, we're giving up our rights. When you forgive someone, you're giving up your rights. You're denying yourself. You're giving up the right for revenge your desire to get even, you're, you're giving those things up. And so for me, suddenly it makes so much sense to take up your cross and following Jesus is the way of forgiveness. The way of forgiveness and grace in hopes of reconciliation. You know, in verse 40, Peter says, uh, or Acts, uh, Luke writes, uh, with many other words, Peter uh, bore witness and continued to exhort them. And he said to them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Now, it's easy to judge culture and, and all this kind of stuff, but, but, I, but I read this article that I just thought was just really, just really profound. Uh, it's called The Fading of Forgiveness. Tracing the Disappearance of the Thing We Need Most. This is an article written by Timothy Keller. We talk about Timothy Keller a lot here. Uh, he's, he's, he's pretty good, though, okay? <laughs> it's an article uh, that he wrote for Comment Magazine dated May 6th this year. And just insightful, and he's kind of talking about the times that we're living in, the generation that we're living in. And I'm just going to give you kind of the headers of the, uh, of the article the first heading is called Offended by Forgiveness. That we live in this time where uh, forgiveness is criticized so much so that it's called, uh, um, uh, you know, with various injustices that uh, activists, certain activists are saying that our constant forgiveness only perpetuates the cycle of attacks and abuse. So just even the, the, the concept, the idea of forgiveness is being attacked as though this is a, a, a bad thing, that it only enables you know, uh, uh, injustice to continue. So first, first uh, heading was offended by forgiveness. The second one, our therapeutic culture. And he talks about how we live in this time that, has just, that, that everyone has, has this inward turn 
that forging identities based on personal desires and demanding society to honor our individual interests and, and, and identity. Okay, so our therapeutic culture. And then there's this uh, the, a heading called religion without grace, that we live in this culture of shame and honor. So let me read a quote. Forgiveness is seen now as radically unjust and impractical, as short-circuiting the ability uh, of victims to gain honor and virtue as others rise to defend them. I think, like, as I'm reading this, like, I'm only, I'm, I'm giving you so much to, like, be like, wow, check out the article, okay? Check out the article. It's just really profound. And then the last heading was called, No Future Without Forgiveness. And the article continues, and Tim Keller, he, he challenges, he says, the Christian church, we need to, uh, we need to recapture, to, to, to sharpen our theology of biblical forgiveness. Um, let, me, let, me, let me go through this pretty quickly here. Forgiveness is a set of practices in Christianity. It is not primarily an emotion. It says... Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not an emotion, it's, it's a practice of prayer and of community. Forgiveness is granted before it is even experienced. The second one, forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering that brings about a greater good. Forgiveness practices an upward and inward and outward aspect. Upward, embracing divine forgiveness. That's our starting point every time. Embracing divine forgiveness. Inward, granting inward forgiveness. And then outward, forging a reconciled relationship. And then Tim Keller, he, he, he highlights just the reason <laughs> that forgiveness is such a big deal. Just as we saw in the book of Acts, they went from 120 people, kind of friends, right, to 3,000 people from all different cultures, all different places. This is the church. The reason we have so many exhortations to forgive is because the church is not made up of natural friends. <laughs> I don't know if you were to look around, like the people sitting around you Many of them would not be your natural friend. And actually, a lot of times, the church is made up of natural enemies. And so what binds us together is not common education or race or income or politics or nationality. It's none of these things. Christians come together because we have been saved by Jesus. And in this light, we are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. I'm in closing. I want to hear, there's, a, there's this powerful story of how forgiveness transformed a people. Uh, if you've ever heard of this, the, the Waodani tribe in Ecuador. 
There were five missionaries who, who went out and they heard about this, this tribe that was an unreached tribe in Ecuador. And they went and, you know, they, they kind of did what the best that they knew how to do in, in, for missions in, in those days. This was in the 60s. Um, uh, Peter Fleming, Jim Elliott, Ed, McNo Ed McCulley, Roger Yonderian, and Nate Smith. These five, they went... And they were suddenly attacked by members of that tribe, and they were all killed. They were speared to death. Um, Jim Elliott, you, you might know his quote is a famous quote. He says, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was one of them. And his wife... Um, I didn't write down her name. Elizabeth Elliot, thank you. Elizabeth Elliot and Nate Smith's sister, so these two women, they went back to that tribe. And they didn't approach them with anger or hate. They went with forgiveness. And it transformed this tribe. This is what, a, what an anthropologist uh, said. He said, the Christian conversion prevented the tribe's self-extinction. Now, this was a, a, an, an anthropologist who was studying this tribe, and you know, he was seeing like, what, what kind of people that they were. And, and he said that they didn't have a, a word for peace in their native language. There just wasn't a concept for peace. And, and what they were known for, this tribe was known for revenge killings. And because of that, these revenge killings were scattering this tribe into smaller and smaller paranoid factions against each other. He says, if it weren't for this Christian, not even idea, but, but the, the display, the actual display of Christian forgiveness, if it wasn't for that, they would have killed each other to extinction. But because it was brought to, because this message was brought to them, you know, by Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of someone that they had murdered and a sister of someone they had murdered, because it was brought to them from them, it became a powerful signal uh, to this commitment to nonviolence. The message of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the King of all kings, the Messiah, the Savior, God in all of his glory, Jesus, came to, came to serve and not be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. In light of this good, good gospel message, Ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, what should we do? Do you have a grudge against someone? Are you harboring anger and resentment? Can we be empowered by Jesus' forgiveness for us to open ourselves up to forgive. And I think for some of us, 
This is asking for the impossible. But we know that God, that with God all things are possible. Empowered by Jesus' forgiveness for you, would you open yourselves up to forgive? And then for our community. I think, I think we kind of, we spend a lot of our time just kind of being polite. We're just, we use up a lot of energy, I think, just kind of being polite. We're kind of here, we kind of know each other, but still distance, not because of COVID, but because of like not getting so intimate because of fear of hurting each other or of getting hurt. Right? When we spend so much energy just trying to be polite, like there's no need for forgiveness. You know what I mean? It's just, uh, you're just someone I see, you know, once a week. But man, if we started to really get, in, get involved in each other's lives, if we started to care about each other, you know, and, and, and even in healthy ways in relationships, started having like expectations from each other, we'd be in danger of hurting each other. But man, that is something vastly better than politeness. We would open ourselves up to communion, to intimacy, to oneness. And it's messy, but, and it demands hearts and minds and souls committed to forgiveness. Let it be so in our community. Let me pray. Jesus, we just thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have loved us, that you gave your life on the cross. paying for our sins, that we would be forgiven and accepted. I pray, God, that that would move us into thanksgiving, into fellowship with you, and into deeper fellowship with each other. Thank you, Jesus.